Welcome back to another episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan, joined, as always, by my friend and the founder of Startups.com, Will Schroeder. Uh, and as we do sometimes, we are also joined by a whole bunch of amazing founders who we will we'll be hearing from a little bit later on in the show. Uh, before we do that, Will, let's, let's kick things off, man. Uh, we like this illusion in, in startup land that as founders, we're the masters of our destiny, that we get to choose our path and that we blaze forth on all these available trails. Uh, what's the reality there, man? How many options do we actually have? How much choice do we really have as founders? I'm still waiting for it to happen. <laughs> like, dude, Accurate. Come on. Yep. I've been at this for 30 years. I, by now, shouldn't I be unleveraged? Wasn't that supposed to happen at some point? At some point, yeah. I don't, nobody, I don't mean nobody any says of when these that people. tipping point is. I don't mean yeah. any of these people, these unleveraged people that have like all the time and in commission to do whatever they want. I've never yeah. met these people. I right. know about these people. Like I've <laughs> I've met celebrities that I think can do that or super billionaires that I think can do that. But for kind of everyone else, we're all leveraged all the time. And it's a big problem because we're seeing this increased narrative where all of a sudden, all of us are supposed to have all these choices, right, Ryan? Yeah. Like, I can choose my investors. I can choose my work-life balance and all these other things. And I'm like, not really. Not <laughs> so much. It's like you can, but everybody that I meet doesn't seem to have that, that challenge or that opportunity. So I'd say let's, let's dig into that. Let's like go one by one. What are the things people are stuck with? Sure. And why is it all messed up? All right. So before we get into this next topic, I just want to let you know, what we talk about here is like 1% of the conversation. You know, really this conversation is going on all day long online at groups.startups.com where Ryan and I pretty much talk endlessly with founders about every one of these topics. So if by the end of this discussion, you like the topic and you want to dig into it a little bit more with Ryan and I, just head to groups.startups.com and we'll pick it up from there. It's essentially the entire list of available, potentially available resources is the discussion today, right? Yeah, They're pretty much like literally so everything. We're going to narrow down to everything. Yeah, and, that, and that's the thing. You know, we, we talk to founders. It's not like any of them are just wandering around going, you know, Ryan, my biggest problem right now is figuring out where to allocate all of my resources. I just don't know what to do with all of them, and it leaves me with so much optionality. Uh, but so let's, uh, where do you want to start? Which one do you want to tackle we'll, first? We'll start with investors because, let me say this, okay. every yeah. single day on Twitter it's some finger-tenting idiot. I mean this in a nice way because these are my friends. Some finger-tenting idiot yeah. that's like, you should choose your investors wisely. Only choose investors that do this. I saw one today that was only choose investors that align with your values. I was like, that today that was Alexis Ohanian, right? Not a bad guy. Right. I'm just saying. I was like, you know what a privileged thing that is to be yes. able to say, choose your investors? Brian, you and I talked to thousands of, of founders no one's choosing their investors like like Correct. six people are, right? right? In the same way that like if you're Brad Pitt, you get to choose your next spouse, right? Right. <laughs> For like everyone else, yep. it doesn't work it's like that. It's ridiculous. It's a bad and leveraged negotiation. Yeah, yeah. There's all this narrative now around you know choosing your investors and smart money. Uh, and I was in in a, a hot debate last week with somebody who had turned down a couple of angel checks and. Uh, and then was surprised when they didn't get offers for any more. And it had been like five months and they just couldn't figure it out. And like, well, wh why did you say no to the original? Well, it just wasn't smart enough money. It wasn't smart money. It wasn't smart money. I was like, were they smart enough to sign the check? Because uh, that's, uh, that's ticking a major box for me. But so let's, let's talk about that for a minute. Why? Because that's, this is sort of a created one, right? This is yeah. one where we, we convince ourselves that we need to have the choice when the the actual correct choice is right there in front of us, right? I mean, if you think about it, like from my standpoint, I've raised capital for multiple businesses. We run a fundraising platform. It's like we have no visibility on this, right? The average person doesn't run around choosing investors, right? The average person runs around begging for investors <laughs> in hopes yes. that anyone yep. will show up, right? And, and, right? and I think that this whole concept of you get to choose is also around investors, is also a little bit more of a recent phenomenon. You know, in the last three to five years, everybody keeps talking about how there's this abundance of capital and everyone's writing checks. And that's sort of true. Here's where it's not sort of true. If you were in the top 3% of people that were going to get funded anyway, it's yep. a little bit easier. And maybe now if you can be in the top 5% and have a chance, but most people are in the 95%. And so that abundance of capital or those competitive checks 
they don't even apply to them. So this whole advice around choosing the, the, the right investors, it just doesn't apply to most people. But we sit there being stressed, being like, wow, well, maybe I'm not making a strong enough case for yeah. who I should be investing or you know, taking investment from. I'm like, yeah, good luck with that. Yeah. The thing I always I always try to dig into, and this isn't an episode on funding, it's not an episode on picking investors, but while we're on the topic, I always ask, like, what is it that you think you're going to get? Like, is is a major piece of the value the smartness and the smart money, or is the major piece of the value the money, right? That's why they're called investors. They bring money, right? And so when we dig into it, it typically turns out that whatever benefits they were hoping for were like tertiary, quaternary at best. They were like right. way down the line. It's like, well, it'd be nice, you know, if they could also do this. Like, okay, cool. Well, do you want to kill necessary for nice? I don't yeah. want to see you do that, right? So bear in mind as you're as you're starting to put up these uh, paradoxical choices in front of yourself, especially in this case where we're creating this problem, right? Founders are buying into this narrative. This isn't a case where we're actually limited to the choice. We're self-limiting, and that's super dangerous, and it's not necessary in this case, right? right. Whatever you think you're going to get from the, the smart money, focus on the money first. If some smart comes along with it, sweet, bonus, but it's not what we're after. Yeah, I agree, and I also think I'm going to be showing my age here a bit, but I grew up in a different era where you just didn't have choices when it came to stuff like this. Whew, where it I thought was you were like, start talking about buffalo nickels or something. Thank God. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I'm about that old. But no, seriously, like when I grew up, uh, if someone was going to offer you work, you said yes first and then said, okay, well, what's the work? Right? <laughs> like, it was like, oh, you're going to hey, pay me. I guess I'm working. Uh, so uh, Will and I have a, a very uh, funny, common early founder story, which is that we both worked for food. Yeah. Right now, I know lots of people have worked for food. I don't know how many people have built large websites for food, but Will and I both did, right? That's yeah. what we did. We Literally, were building digital products for credits real food. at restaurants. That's that's what it was. I had a I had a tab at Victorian's Midnight Cafe, and I was happy as a pig in you know what. Mine was Damon's the place for ribs. Uh, and let me tell you about it. I was pretty friggin' happy about that gift yeah. card. When I came back to the office yes. and told people that we were gonna make yep. their website and get five hundred dollars worth of food. And we're all college students. Yes. I might as well have come back and said that we're about to go public. <laughs> right, right. Would have, would have meant never just have as much. your day in that office. Exactly. But, but, but again, different times, right? Where like you just didn't have the abundance of capital early on when I was raising money, you know, for my startups, I didn't get to choose my investors. You no. begged everyone, and if one person said yes, you were so thankful for that check. Again, world changed, thankfully. I mean, a lot of the yeah. things that, that folks like us and others do to help build the startup ecosystem to make these things easier, to even have that conversation is awesome. What I'm concerned about is you start to get this prevailing narrative that's just totally not true, that everybody gets to, to choose and they're not leveraged. No, you're leveraged. You're going to take what you can get. It's going to suck probably, but you're going to make do with it like we all do. And that's okay. That's, that's kind of my point. Yeah, sure. Like uh, again, like it's it it is the lay of the land. It's it's where we're at. And yeah, there are people, more people writing checks now. Um, but if you also look around, there's a hell of a lot more people starting companies. So there's more competition for it. So again, just hell to reinforce yeah. the point here, we don't get to be entirely choosy here. Yes, there are situations where that happens. Yes, there might be times where fundamentally you want to say no to somebody's money because you really want somebody else's, or you're really chasing one investor. I would say those represent the vast, vast minority of, of the cases that, that we see here. Yeah, and it also implies that we have the choice. And that's really what this is about. We are <laughs> right. leveraged to the hilt. Yeah. One of the places that we don't talk about much from a leverage standpoint are co-founders and early employees. Right? Yes. And I, I just want to kind of separate those, but they're kind of the same things, right? In yep. other words, when we're first getting started, Ryan, you and I just had the idea nine seconds ago. And we're like, this is awesome. Let's get this going. It doesn't occur to us that we met nine seconds ago at Startup Weekend. Right? <laughs> we right. literally don't know each other whatsoever. And the only thing tethering us together is we both have no other options. Right? You're the only other person that thought this was a cool idea. And therefore, you're my partner and vice versa. Talk about being leveraged. That's yeah. like saying, I just decided that I'm going to like uh, this, you know, like uh, entertain the idea of getting married. Then getting married to the first person that I see on the street and make okay, I guess this is it because <laughs> I have no other option. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. The because again, I, I feel like this is one where we actually force ourselves into the situation to some degree, right? Like we are we are deciding uh, to, to bring on a co-founder. It's not like it's not like a requisite, right? Like, well, I have to have one, or they won't let me file for my uh, my EIN, right? 
there's no reason you have to do this. And yet we end up wanting to do it, feeling like we need to do it. Uh, there are some times where I think it can feel a bit more leveraged. And I think this is where we can actually kind of span that, that, uh, that gap that you're talking about where, where it's, you know, there's early hire or co-founder. Sometimes what should be an early hire ends up becoming a co-founder. We see this all the time uh, as relates to uh, mm -hmm. we devs, overshoot, right? People, yep. people will end up bringing on a CTO who in some cases is just an okay app developer, right? But they happen to be you know, the most technical on the team. Uh, okay, let's bring them on. We can't afford to hire an app developer, so let's bring on a CTO. We'll give them equity. And now we've turned what wasn't a leveraged situation into a very leveraged situation, right? To your point, now we're, we're tied together forever. Um, and it's not just being tied together, uh, but it's, you know, what is an adequate resource at one point in the business may not be later, right? That average app developer might have been exactly what you needed from day zero to day 180. Maybe. But right? from that point forward, does that person have the chops to lead technical teams? Do they have the ability to grow the technical organization, to build what was an app into an enterprise platform? Maybe, but oftentimes not. And then you have all of these things to deal with. And so you're leveraged in the beginning when you make the decision. But I would argue that the real point of leverage in this case comes town, time down the road, right? Was we've already, you know, we've come six months, eight months, a year, uh, and now we're really leveraged because we've tied somebody to the cap table who no longer can live up to the role or where the company's going. And man, that is just such a shit spot to be in. How about if you were, if you were to ask the average startup and they have a co-founder yep. uh, and ask them by themselves, have the co-founder in the room, how many co-founders did you turn down before you accepted this one? <laughs> right? None. Yeah. Ever. Right. 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 So you're saying you went on one date with one person. And we were both at a coffee to. shop and we were both wearing black hats. <laughs> well, like, I mean, what else did we need to know at that point? Like, it was kismet, obviously. Right. We're complaining that um, some in early investor wants to take 20% of the company to yeah. give us actual money, but we gave 50% of the company to somebody that we've never worked with before <laughs> yeah. because they're the only person standing in the room that day. Yep. Come on. Yep. But they really Again, liked what we were doing, right? Leverage yeah. decision. It, what's crazy is uh, it, there's an opportunity with all of this to step back and say, hmm, this is a pretty leveraged decision. Like maybe I should be a little bit more mindful about when and how I make that decision. Because yeah. most people have never done this before. They've never actually started a company before. Why would you have? And they have no idea what the consequences are of making a leveraged decision like this. And this isn't yep. an anti-co-founder decision or you know discussion no. at all. Yep. At all. It's the opposite. Yeah. It's if you're going to pick a co-founder, be super judicious about it. Yes. Yes. Right? Talk about not just all in the selection, but in the structure too. Right. Yes. So if we let's just let's cover the basics here, Wells. I mean, again, this isn't this isn't a, a co-founder selection episode, but while we're on the topic, uh, a couple of really important points. As Will said, be judicious, right? It's rarely 50-50. Use vesting. Yeah. Okay. I'll leave it at that, right? Like the, you do those three things at least, you will save yourself 90% of co-founder heartache sometime down the Your road. Your co-founder right? freedom. Do those things. Yeah, no. And so in the early stages, when we're first getting started, you know, with, with any of our startups, we're just fully leveraged at every level. Everything we're yes. doing, we're about to make probably not the best decision because we don't have a lot of <laughs> options. Yep. But I think on some of these, when we talk about, uh, hey, I'm about to go make a co-founder decision, I'm about to make an investor decision, we'll talk about some others in a second, um, I like to be able to have startups, founders step back and say, huh, I'm now working with the least amount of chips and leverage that I'll ever have. Yeah, but I'm about to make the most important decisions that I'll ever make, right? These yep. are all the fundamental decisions. I should be pretty stressed about that, and I mean this in a good way, right? I should be kind of like zoom out a little bit here and say, huh, maybe I want to pause on those decisions a little bit until I have a little bit more leverage, right? Sometimes sure. time is what you need for leverage, by the way. Yep. Um, sometimes time says, hey, the person I met at Startup Weekend is great and all, but they actually weren't the best person for what I was looking for. They just happened to be in my zip code on the day that I had the idea. <laughs> right? Maybe, crazy thoughts, maybe I should seek out some co-founders and look around for a bit, date some people for a while to figure out who I love and then kind of get more engaged. We don't think that we can even do that. And so we get all these shotgun weddings, which, you know, I, I get it. People make it work. It's just not the best approach. And that's that's kind of what I, I like to see people curb a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I think that you, you bring up a really good point around the timing issue. 
um, around, you know, how judicious you're being in that selection and what criteria you're using to determine, you know, beyond just proximity, um, excitement about the idea. Well, of course they're excited about the idea. You've probably made it sound really interesting. Did you also make it sound really difficult? Did you also understand that their skill sets aligned with all those difficulties? Probably not. We don't usually do that. We get all caught up in the hype, right? We're right. constantly pitching. And, you know, co-founder often is like, they accepted my pitch. They were the first person that actually got what I was doing. How many times have I heard this? <laughs> like, that's just an indication that maybe your pitch was good or maybe they're gullible. Like, I don't even really know at this point. Like, the fact that they were the first person who got your pitch does not make them a co-founder. It might make them an early customer, right? Maybe, uh, but it's probably not like your, your lifelong partner in this thing. Not solely based on that. Could also be, right? But let's not let's not make it on on those criteria alone. One of the things that I also see, and this kind of speaks to timing and just the, you know, how judicious we're being, I frequently see this pattern, right? It's have startup idea, get excited about it, realize there's a lot of work, need an extra pair of hands, get co-founder, and then start to seek out advice, like from advisors, from mentors, from other people after the fact. And it's it's interesting, but a lot of people start seeking out advice when they have their first disagreement with the co-founder. It's not even a major disagreement in a lot of cases. It's just like, hey, we couldn't, we can't decide which one of these things to do. We need your help now, right? Right. But it comes after they've introduced that second voice, oh, in right, most cases, sure. irrevocably, right? So just, again, another, another little bit of food for thought here. Maybe seek out the board of advisors or at least some level of advisory and get their read on potential co-founders get their read on the need for a co-founder get their read on should i trade equity for some work right am i really am i am i in a position where i need to hire an employee or am i in a position where i need to uh bring on a co-founder yeah i get it on these decisions because again sometimes we're leveraging ourselves by by arbitrarily limiting the decisions that we're making where we weren't really as leveraged as we thought you know what's funny is in all of the the popular narrative that's arisen around investors and um, yeah. startups having this kind of um, choice that they don't have. I see almost none of this conversation happening around co-founders, right? I don't see yeah. anybody no. giving good advice on, on how you give up 50% of your company to somebody. Uh, and it's odd because wouldn't you think like we'd have all like figured that part out a long time ago, that would be like, like baseline advice by now. Like here's You'd the first so. bad decision you're about to make. And again, this yeah. is an anti-co-founder. It's finding the right co-founder. It's funny. I, and again, I think you're, you're right. I think now is the time where that narrative could happen because people are starting to pay more attention to the overall startup narrative. I think it's, it's out in like the, the bloodstream of, of the world. It's no longer relegated to just people who are already kind of in it. Because I think, and to the point I was making before, most people end up with the co-founder and then start to seek advice and then start to do other things and then start to learn about this whole process. So oftentimes, by the time we're talking to people for the first time, they've already made some of these decisions, right? When right. they were super leveraged, when they right. were at their, at their highest point of leverage, uh, reverse leverage, right? When they were the most leveraged. I, I so get it. So it's tough. Let, let me shift gears. The other place that stresses me out, maybe because I'm just stressed out and anxious all the time, <laughs> is this idea that like our whole lives are a choice, right? The, the, the yeah. concept of work-life balance. Now you yeah. and I spend a lot of time talking about how to get like just a little bit more Zen, a little less anxious. So obviously yeah. that's something we care about. We're not Gary Veeing this shit, right? On the other <laughs> hand, I feel like because there's been this big narrative around how everyone should have this amazing work-life balance, it gets applied to startup founders. And they're like, oh, you know, what am I doing wrong? Everyone else is sitting on a right. grassy knoll with a laptop, you know, like controlling yep. the whole world, Tim Ferriss style. Uh, <laughs> while I'm sitting like in my, in my parents' basement, right, working 16 hours a day, yeah. and I haven't showered in two days. Like, like, where is this coming from? And I think it's a, it's a healthy narrative because obviously we want more work-life balance, right? Where I'm a little anxious about this is that it doesn't feel super natural or applicable to almost all of the founders that I talk to. Like the last thing on their mind is like, let me get Zen on a hill somewhere. They're like, I'm so stressed and broke. Like I, I, it's, it's incredible. Yeah, we talked about this. And, and I think that part of the pity here is that yes, there is a very healthy narrative around creating work-life balance and, and being purposeful, being mindful, being healthy, being all these things. And it's wonderful, right? Absolutely. But 
to kind of your point, I think it's put some additional pressure on founders to feel like I should be doing that too, mm-hmm. right? And and certainly now, for the first time ever, we're also starting to see people sort of expect this, right? Demand right. this from the top to the bottom, right? That was never the expectation. Again, we're sure age here, but you know, back in our day when we were coming up, right, that wasn't a thought. Like I never would have even had the thought of talking to. My co-founders, my employees, my uh, a few bosses that I did have early on, like you know, I think I'm really gonna need to to work out some better work life balance. Like, yep, yep, sure. As soon as you get back from taking those uh, six pizzas to the other side of town, we'll talk about that, right? Like, it was not part of my narrative, and so I think because it's become more pervasive, there's additional pressure around doing it, which like counterintuitive, but just the fact that there is a narrative around it may make you feel like you're failing even harder. Like you may not have even noticed before. I didn't. I don't know if you did, Will. I didn't know that I should have better work-life balance. Yeah, I didn't, I, I didn't know it was an option. I'm not saying that's healthy. <laughs> I'm not saying that's healthy either. But that's kind of the point. It wasn't really an option at certain points. right? I didn't have, okay, sure, it's always an option. It's always an option. I, I could have not stayed up you know, three nights in a row finishing a major project so that we could get cash in the bank in time for payroll. I could have chosen not to do that. And then 12 people wouldn't have gotten paychecks, right? 12 people who very much depended on those checks at the time, uh, all, all college students and all, all doing whatever we could to get by, right? So it didn't feel like a choice. Sure, it's a choice, but the cost of the choice was the far too significant. The consequences of that choice were far too significant to make that choice. And so I think this is a great example of where there are times where we see things that we may want to do. There are other paths we want to take. And as founders, we just don't necessarily always have that choice. Doesn't mean that we don't have the intent. Doesn't mean we don't you know, want to work towards that um, and have that as a goal. But it's not just a matter of saying like, oh, hey, a little more Zen would probably do good and I'd probably be more productive and I'd probably, yeah, maybe, right? But in the moment, like projects got to get done. Features got to get shipped. Uh, somebody's got to get hired. Somebody's got to get fired. These things just don't sit around waiting, uh, you know, while we float off the ground on the grassy knoll. Well, so here's here's what I'm trying to validate. There, number one, there's a founder sitting listening right now, stressed out of their mind. And, and here's yep. their checklist. When I say A, I probably mean like literally every single person listening. Um, one, I burn through all of my savings. Two, I have no idea if my startup's going to make it through the next three, six, twelve months. Yep. Three. I have no idea what's going to happen to me when this thing inevitably fails, which at the time I feel like it, you know, it will, sure. it won't, might, but whatever. Um, the next is I've got a whole bunch of people that I'm responsible for, right? They're responsible for their job. If they don't do their job, they will lose their job. And then all of a sudden, uh, they have to get another job. Right. Ryan, if you screw things up, that dozen people, they all lose their job. Yep, exactly. So while they're off doing yoga, there's a version of you going, dude, if, like, if I don't get this done, there's serious consequences. Yep. And again, this has nothing to do with, with whether or not like getting more balanced in your life is a, a positive thing. Of course it is, right? Sure it's a it wonderful thing. What we're talking about is how unrealistic it is to, from an expectation standpoint. Because the amount of stuff that we have on our plate and the consequences that come with that are so severe and so significant. It's just not easy for us to do. Nope, right, you know, we're we're ten years into our business. We have a profitable, successful business, and we're still stressed out. Right, you know, trying to make stuff happen every day. Yep. It's not that simple. And and I, I love the fact that there are people that have figured this out. Trust me, sure. it, 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 they are living the dream I want to live. I just don't see that many people that actually feel like that luxury exists in a realistic yeah. way. It's it's not it's not a luxury that we're just automatically afforded, right? It's not an entitlement. I think that these are privileges that we can prioritize, right? And we can say, like, I want to earn that privilege. I want to do the things that get me to that point. Um, and then hope that all of those stars align, right? And kind of like the macro point that we're making here today, and, and I'll, I'll reflect back on what I just said, right? I can make the decisions that lead me to the point where I earn that privilege, maybe, right? That again implies that I had a whole bunch of choice and that there was this sort of optimal set of decisions that I could have made that will lead me to that promised land. And yet that's not really the case, right? In most cases, we're making the decision that is available to us uh, that allows us at least the the illusory uh, uh, impact of moving forward, right? 
You know, by the way, I just want to mention if what we're talking about today sounds like the kind of discussion you wish you were having more often, you actually can. You know, we're online all day, every day, working through exactly these types of topics with founders just like you. So any question you would have or maybe some problem you just want to work through, we're here and we love this stuff. And we're easy to find. You know, head over to groups.startups.com and let's just start talking. Well, I tell you what, let's do this. Let's talk about, <laughs> well, we've covered a lot. Let's talk about what all the folks in the room right now are, are thinking. Uh, it. It's kind of, you know, how, how they view leverage. So let's, uh, let's, let's run to the top. Uh, Ryan, you want to start us off? Yeah, let me scroll back up here. All right. Uh, so Andy says, so true. If you've raised money on it, so we're going back to the, the investors here. Uh, so if you've raised money on a number of occasions with a successful exit at the end of each, then yes. Um, each of them uh, will want to continue to invest in you, and you can be picky. If you're not in that 0.00001%, did I get that right, Andy? I don't <laughs> want to misquote the stats here. Uh, uh, then grind it out uh, and meet with anyone who will listen. Andy, are you going through this right now? Yeah, I'm going through the process now. And, and uh, as you said, you know, it would be amazing to be choosy, but um, we'll take a, <laughs> sure. a meeting with anyone. They're, they're all valuable feedback, but... Um, beggars can't be choosers when you haven't had a successful exit, or in my case, I have, but not with investors. You don't uh -huh. have the investors to call and say, Hey, the last deal we did was great. We should, we should do it, uh, you know, do business See, together again. Isn't that interesting though, right? It, so you've proven that you can start, grow, scale, exit a company. And yet, because you haven't done it with investment dollars, uh, then you're still getting pushback and you're not able to be choosy, right? So for everybody else who's listening who hasn't yet had that first successful exit um, and is also trying to raise funding, imagine where that puts you in, in the hierarchy. I, I think this is something that we talk about a lot, Will, which is that you're not getting funded in a vacuum, right? You are being compared to every other possible alternative that those investors have, right? So it's not about whether you can afford to be choosy uh, with investors. Like they have lots and lots of choice. For every one investor you might have to choose from, they have hundreds of deals, right? right. And so not only are we leveraged in, in our decision, they are absolutely not, right? They have lots and lots of options, including like cash or real estate, right? They have lots of options. We have one or two or three. So awesome. Thanks, I man. agree. Uh, Andreas, you're, you're next, my friend. Uh, you're saying that uh, this resonates a lot with you. In your first funded startup, your investor was the son of a previous employer. Interesting. Uh, he's kind of an automatic investor. He gets grandfathered in. Uh, and he didn't really let us entertain further investments from other sources. So we were stuck with him. <laughs> Lucky you. In your second startup, you selected your investors a bit more. And you ended up saying uh, no to one person. Even that was hard. Tell us about that. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, well, I, I worked at the big company with my co-founder. Uh, we were still really good friends, and he, he ended up being a good co-founder. He was awesome. But our investor, you know, he was on the board of the company that we worked for. Uh, we both quit at the same time. We didn't even have an idea, really. He kind of like, hey, I believe in you guys. I want to fund something with you guys. Come up with a great idea, and I'm going to fund it. And so we were also kind of grateful to him. We couldn't really yeah. pull out. And what he ended up doing was basically being the, the big stack at the poker table. Like, okay, so we're running out of money. I'm the only one that's going to invest. If you don't want to take my investment at the terms I'm setting, we're shutting you down. And I still have yep. money. Yep. Uh, and that ended up being less than ideal. Uh, and, and I think... Yeah, it, it sucked. Uh, but because of that, we were a bit more selective. We had one guy that wanted to invest. He would have been one of our biggest investors if we would have said yes. But we just felt in my second fund startup that he was just wrong. You know, we, we didn't click at all. He, he, um, he showed already that he would kind of push us around. So we ended up saying no to him. It was hard. But uh, we, we managed to close around anyway. You saved yourself a lifetime of, of headache. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> In that case, For the sure. money is not worth it. No. Uh, interesting, interesting. Um, and yeah, uh, as, as you go through this, and again, this is kind of what Andy was saying too. Um, once you've been around the block a few times with investors, not only are you more likely to get funded again because you know they appreciate people who've been through the gauntlet before, yep. but you're way more gun shy about who you'll get funded from. Because like anything else, the, the person that understands marriage the best is the person that just finished a divorce. 
right? Because <laughs> you understand the entire cycle of how this thing works and kind of, you know, what the consequences truly are. Uh, Ryan, who we got up next? Uh, Justin, Justin, uh, are there any exceptions to saying yes just because the money is there? Uh, certainly there are. I think they, I, in my experience, they, they tend to represent the edge cases, right? If there's a moral or ethical dilemma, a conflict of interest, um, or you just understand something fundamental about that individual that says, like, I just cannot stand being in the room with this person. I will not. I cannot take advice. It's just going to be such a personality clash that I know it's going to make me miserable. But then the decision that you have to make in that moment isn't, I'll say no to this investor so I can get another one. It's, I'll say no to money knowing that I may not get any more. And so I may be dictating a different path for my startup. So I think that's important to note that, yeah, you may say no, um, but you have to be really clear about what that actually means. I think a lot of times we think we can say no because there's all these other options. As we've talked about ad nauseum today, there typically aren't, right? Will, anything else you want to add to that? No, I, I think you're, I think you're spot on there. Um, like from our standpoint, uh, we have, you know, these limited options. We kind of take what we can get, like in most cases. Yep. Um, Omar, going to jump over to you. He said, because you're in biotech, I think I'd be more selective for investors. It, obviously, it makes sense. I need them to understand the space, regulatory issues, et cetera. And I'm not quite there yet, so we'll see. What makes you say you're, you're not quite there yet? So um, we are at the point where we have to do a couple more proof of concept experiments. Yeah. And uh, we're, we're trying to get grants right now to get those experiments done. So that after these experiments are done, we'll either be worth nothing or, or everything. So uh, we want to start raising after those, those proof of concept studies. Uh, I hear you. And do you feel like um, prior to that you can't raise or just that just can be geometrically harder? I think I probably could just based on my reputation um, and, and our IP. But yeah, our valuation is, is, is so volatile at this, at this point. Right. Um, so you're yeah. leveraged. Yeah. 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 Uh, ideally the wrong time to, to, um, to raise money, but we usually when we're most leveraged is when we need that money. <laughs> it's, it's right. go and, we, we, and we do need the money. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, nothing there. Uh, Ryan, who's next up? Let's see. We've got, um, Justin, most of that marriage is because you don't know any other options. It's like parenting, right? You guinea pig the firstborn, and then you are so much smarter for the second kid. So I, I can tell That's that so you true. don't have kids, Justin, because actually the, the first one turns out perfect. It's you get more experimental <laughs> as they go. Like I'm on the third now, and we literally refer to him as the spare child. Jack, I hope you listen to this someday, buddy, uh, just so you know where you stood in all of this. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, so yes, I can agree with some of that, right? You're definitely kind of trying to to figure things out. Were you referring to like the first go around? Is that what you were, when you say that marriage? Yes, absolutely. Uh, so just uh, a, a quick kind of reference point. There is a book that I was reading about uh, Israeli startups. Apparently Israeli investors actually don't invest in the first startup. They always ask the question, have you failed at a startup before? And if they don't I like that, they say no, then they're out. All right, everybody go make up fake startups that failed. Done. <laughs> Check. It was spectacular. It was the greatest failure ever, right? But I like that. Actually, that's an interesting Justin, tactic, actually. That's actually very synonymous with why founders who have been um, around the block once, even if they weren't successful, can often get checks the second time. Yep. Because from uh, an investor standpoint, think about it. If you had to bet on all people who have never played the sport before or one person who has played the sport before, you're probably going to go with the latter because everybody else, you're going to find out for the first time whether they're worth their salt. At least the other person understands the lay of the land and kind of what they're really signing up for. It's a tough position for investors because we think about it from the standpoint of, well, they want to deploy capital toward ideas. Not really. Everybody's got an idea. They're trying to find people to have their shit together. And that is yeah. not easy to do because we're all figuring it out for the first time. It's really, really tricky. Is that why Tom Brady continues to come out of retirement? Tom Brady can play till he's 90 at this point. I mean, <laughs> given the fact that he's still beating people half his age. But it, it is, though. It's very rare that you can find a proven commodity in this business. And when you do, all the money goes toward them. It's a very, it's a very special designation. Yep. Uh, okay, hold on. I like this one. Uh, Paul. It seems like failure happens more often with partners from the ground up. I had to rebuild a team four times before I got it right. 
Well, I mean, it is. I, that analogy with having kids, I think, is pretty spot on or being married because, you know, that vertical learning curve teaches you so much. And every time you fail, you think, OK, what went wrong? Well, now I have to address that on this next chapter and say, OK, if we're going to try this again, how do we anticipate these contingencies or how do we at least have a conversation about it so that we know how we're going to handle this when the situation comes up again? And it I mean, it, it really I came at it. And I think a lot of us when we come at, when we come into a new business, we're getting into something we don't know anything about. So I'm, you know, I understand construction. This is a vertical learning curve that, you know, the most expensive lessons are our own mistakes. And so that whole growth process really helped me understand the necessity of putting together a good contract and really taking the time to analyze, hey, what happens if you get sidetracked or you bow out or what happens if we can't get anywhere or if we're not fulfilling our obligations, what's our contingency, what's our backup and how are we going to not end up back at square one again? Hey, on that contract, just do something really quick. Do a control F uh, and then do a find and replace for if and change it to when, right? Because all of those things will happen, right? It's not an if, it's like when these things happen, right? When people exactly. lose steam, when we fall off track. Yeah, yeah, no, you're, you're spot on with that, man. So how? Right. Uh, so you've done this. You've done this four times now. You said is this within the? Uh, was this with the same startup? It's the same company, the same idea. It took me that long to get the right programmers, the right approach, the right scaffolding to uh, get the traction. And I don't know, Ryan, if you remember, but you recommended to me a couple of weeks ago the book Traction, and I can't yep. thank you enough for that. All right, nice. good man. You're using it to prop up a corner of your desk where you're getting a lot of work done, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> you're Just actually reading the damn thing, right? Awesome. Fantastic. Um, all right. We've got a comment here. It's it's kind of a back and forth between Justin and, and Andreas. I'm trying to I'm trying to go back in time, Justin, figure out what you were referencing when you made your comment. I think I understand where Andreas is going, but I want to make sure that we got this right. Justin, I, I kind of felt like like maybe where your head was at with that conversation is like let's just take a take a beat before we start like splitting up equity and Absolutely. get a yeah get a feel for whether this makes sense. Um, I think what ends up happening is we have the equity discussion first, right? We we, we split up the company and then find out if we should be working together. You know, like like <laughs> yep. and it's it's really backward. It's it's getting married first and then dating, right? It's, <laughs> it's really not the way this should go. And when you put that that into that analogy or that construct. It just kind of makes sense, and yet we all do it. We all do it. You know, one of the suggestions we had was try dating for a minute. Try creating a, a contract situation, which says, "Hey, we're going to give this a, a few months, three months, and we're going to see how things work out. If things work out, here's roughly the terms. You know, th that that we'll we'll look to discuss. But let's see where it goes. And let's just give it three months. Anybody can afford to, to invest three months and see what happens. Here's what tends to happen. Really quickly, you realize that. Adding one person is great. It's just not 50% of the company great. Right? And you realize we're going to need like 10 more of these and putting all my chips on one person typically isn't a great idea. If it is, awesome. If you marry the person that you met in high school and it works out and you're together forever, awesome. Typically doesn't go so well. Ryan, let's jump down to uh, Justin. Um, well, actually, we're going to answer this. Justin, we were saying, uh, how do you date co-founders? That'd be a good practice. Uh, and we were saying, essentially, maybe you start them as contractors. Um, let's jump down a little bit further. Sorry, uh, I'm kind of jumping ahead here. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Pushing equity down the road is, in my opinion, a disaster. Okay, actually, this is interesting. Andres, you had a different uh, take on it. Pushing equity down the road is, in my opinion, a disaster waiting to happen. Better to set up clear goals and time work that is equal for everyone. Most people overvalue their contribution to the company and thus want a bigger cut than they earn. That's really interesting. Can you talk mm. about that a little bit? Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I absolutely agree that we shouldn't like slice the pie right at the start, but the longer we push it, everyone, in my experience, like everyone thinks that, well, I did a lot, right? I did more than half. I, and everyone feels the same way. So if you don't have that conversation early, uh, doesn't have to be the first date kind of, but the longer you push it, the more likely it is that people are going to be disappointed. Um, so if you kind of have, when we reach this, you get this. If you jump out before we reach this, you will lose some of your equity. Um, right. So having earnouts, having clear set goals on each other, clear, clear goals and clear expectations, and, and kind of understanding where everyone stands relatively early, I think right. is really important. Otherwise, everyone is just going to be disappointed. 
Yeah, right. right. I, there's there's a yeah, there's there's an interesting point in there as well, Andreas, which is that when things go well, this is particularly true, right? When things go bad, and like nobody really cares, right? It's, it, we all failed together, nobody cares. Um, when things go well, to your point, everybody will overstate their involvement in that going well, right? Doesn't yeah. matter what your role was. If we if we achieved, you know, triple revenue, I was definitely an equal contributor to that, regardless of what I was doing, right? And so, yeah, I think pushing it down the road without some definition, you know, I think you're you're both right in that doing it too soon can be problematic, but I think having a framework for how it gets divvied up makes a lot of sense. And then having in some of those protective measures like vesting, like clawback, yeah. um, absolutely need to be in there so that you can deal with the true disaster scenarios because that's where it tends to go the absolute worst, right? It can be contentious if we have to try to figure out, you know, shifting the splits around. Um, it's more like, well, you haven't actually been here for three years, but you still own 20% of the company. What the hell do we do about that? <laughs> right? That's a big problem that you don't want to have to try to address after the fact. There needs to be something in writing that says, here's what we do in that scenario that works for everybody. You know, something interesting that, that Justin said, uh, Justin, I want to ask you about this. You said you would have brought on advisors uh, before uh, you would have brought on co-founders. Yeah, so I, I brought on a co-founder and it was a lot of, we did a lot of the great practices. We did the whole like asking each other the 37 questions. And then, um, you know, we spent, we, we created just an initial founders agreement and spent three months working together. We had worked together on a project before. So there was a little bit of, mm. um, previous relationship. Um, so it, it all looked like, man, we're doing all the right stuff. This is all going really well. And this is going to be a great, great co-founding relationship. And then we just got to a point where there was a fundamental disagreement uh, about how we wanted to continue to capitalize the company. Um, and I realized that, man, if I would have actually started with advisors, several of the advisors that I have now, that maybe they could have made introductions to other potential co-founders and, uh, and maybe that would have given me some more optionality around who I might want to actually, you know, become a co-founder with. And, you know, you were making the point about dating. It's like, how do you do that? Well, if you do it on contract, well, does that mean, AKA I'm paying people um, out of my own pocket first? Um, but, but maybe if you have the advisors first, your ability to sort of try it out for three months with a few different folks uh, is increased. So anyhow, that, that was just an interesting thought. Paying people out of your pocket early on can be painful, but it's less painful than paying people with your soul down the line. Yeah. <laughs> like it just, it hurts so bad. Will, you had a question. I've got one too. But uh, uh, well, what I was, I was just going to attack onto that to say, part of the leverage we keep talking about is how we're financially leveraged. One mm -hmm. of the things we haven't talked about is how we're knowledge leveraged. Oh, when we're time. first getting started, building a startup for the first time, we don't know jack shit. Right, we don't understand how any of this stuff works. We don't understand how fundraising works. Some of us don't understand how business works, etc. We are knowledge leveraged, which means the first person that shows up that has more knowledge than we do seems like Yoda, no matter who they are. Right? Yeah, yeah. Your business yeah. professor is the like best example of this. Right? Not knocking your business professor. I'm sure they're wonderful, but as far as you're concerned, they're teaching the textbook. Right? They right. must be the smartest person about this topic. And maybe they are. Maybe you actually just got like an incredible lecture. No, <laughs> Andreas is like, no. But no. my point is, <laughs> at that moment, they're the smartest person there is about this topic because you're knowledge leveraged. You don't know better. Yep. The same yep. goes for advisors. Early advisors come on board and they are, oh my God, the smartest people ever. And everything they're telling you makes so much sense until you realize later, they haven't done this for 20 years. The stuff they're talking to you about, right? is from like the industrial revolution, right? Like they're so yep. irrelevant to how this thing works, but you don't know any better. You don't know any better. And so part of this biding your time is just starting to kind of look at your other options, get some other opinions, talk to some other folks and try to triangulate where you are in this equation. I think that's important. It is yeah. super important. Justin, I see you're actually using one of the, the most common early stage startup advisors right there in the background. Some of you will know it as a dartboard. <laughs> uh, the, the question I had harkened back to, to your comment, which was that, you know, if I'd had advisors earlier on, maybe they would have led me to. 
and you may or may not be able to answer this because this will require kind of going back in time. What do you think the advisors would have been able to see at that point that would have allowed them to direct you differently, either to a different person or to say, like, no, you actually don't need anybody right now? It's kind of a two-part here, which is also what was your motivation for getting a co-founder? Why did you feel like you needed one or wanted one at that point? Yeah, two good questions. So I'll start with the second one, which is, um, you know, I have a product management and marketing background, but okay. not a development background, right? So technical resources are necessary. Yeah. Um, you know, I had the idea first, so I was kind of going out and looking for a co-founder. Um, and it was about money. It was about finding somebody who could work for no salary for a period of time and, um, and then be able to pay for that with equity, which I know is not, yep. That's when you're, when you're leveraged, uh, you know, those kind of the of point, right? Made. Yeah. It's um, not, it wouldn't have been your first choice, right? You would have rather paid with cash, but I, I looked around, I didn't find any cash. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it turned out that it was not under my pillow. Um, so yeah, that was, that was my motivation there. I think early on, there was a discussion around how we would fund the company and my co-founder was much more into the bootstrapped uh, approach. And I was, I was kind of open to all possibilities. They're all just tools, right? So maybe yeah. bootstrapping for a while works, but at some point, if we need to get funding, I have no problem with that. And, and it seemed to me like, you know, that was going to be something that we could maybe overcome, but eventually it became, you know, uh, a reason that we could not continue. True. And, uh, and I think a, I think a some advisors would have been a little more like, hey, this is a red flag that you just can't ignore, um, and might have you know said that a little more frankly early on, and then the potential that they might know other people in their network, um, and since they're you know somewhat invested, then they might be able to make those introductions. Anyhow, that was that was the thought. Totally makes hey, sense. Justin, sticking with you and, and uh, skipping around a little bit, you asked how many co-founders are enough uh, <laughs> you know, to, to have considered. Just out of curiosity, anyone in the room right now, has anyone here dated a bunch of co-founders before they chose a co-founder? Um, and okay, if not, I'm just, uh, again, it, it, I actually don't hear it that often. And, and I would love to hear you know, somebody who has. Well, that pretty much sums up crickets. Uh, yep. <laughs> all point. right. That kind of says it all. <laughs> womp, womp, womp. Um, all right. Uh, okay. Uh, Joe Slaughter, you said that you've been uh, you've been kind of dating someone. I have dated. I've tried using Sharper the app. I've tried using Bumble Biz. I've tried using a whole bunch of different things, and so far, I'll say most of the connections were a waste of your time, kind of thing it wasn't the right field of people to try and be dating among. There's not even yeah, a platform to do that properly. The The top links I have, I guess, would be coming from Y Combinator currently. The most technical matched to my experience. But even that's kind of like it's people have to take the time and effort to go and find and hunt. There's no matchmaking service really in between it. Yeah, it's also a very tall order. Uh, interesting. Uh, Rashida, I'm going to call on you. You said... This is the first community where I'm consistently asked about a co-founder. Like I was even considering a co-founder, and you're still not. Right. Um, but it's interesting to hear why people look for co-founders. Um, what what is that pressure, so to speak, that that you're seeing or hearing about getting a co-founder? I'm not even sure. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I went to, to business school, and I've gotten. Um, you know, I used to be an underwriter, so I've seen a lot of business plans. I'm like, I've done and seen a lot of this, but where people were directly asking me about, oh, so do you have a co-founder? I was like, is this a qualifier for kind of where people say like, should we be talking to two people? Right. Someone else, like, you know, do you have a partner? Do you have a spouse? Like that kind of thing. Like, are there others that we should be talking to? And it it wasn't even an interest. I'm, I'm looking for people who can implement for pay. Right. Um, I was never really thinking of, and I was like, this is the only place that Almost every, it comes up in all intro meetings um, when we're just getting to know each other. Uh, people always ask about, do you have a co-founder? Are you looking for one? And I'm stunned that it's a consistent message. And I was like, am I missing something? Why would I, maybe I should be considering it. And I don't even know why I would consider it, but right. 
not from this call. I'm like, nope, I'm still probably not. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, the reason that investors kind of make it a thing, just to be clear, is they're looking for some downside protection. If Rashido goes off the rails, right. let's hope there's one other person that can keep things going. You know, so it's a, a little bit of a, a backup protection. Right. Um, and sometimes it just helps to know that if if Rashida, you know, for whatever reason, can't keep things going, um, that someone else will step in. Or if there's a disagreement between the investor and the team, sometimes it helps to have a team, you know, to be able to talk to other people and get differing opinions. Um, because again, you're really trying to bet on on this person you just met five minutes ago. I mean, the investor to the founder. The only and it's thing a, is that I'm actually not raising capital. So let me just throw that out there as a little. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Well, then, then <laughs> you're about to get asked about a billion times more if you decide to do that. <laughs> That's for sure. Yep. Um, all right, Ryan, let's, uh, let's wrap this up. Um, final thoughts on your end. I think this was awesome. I mean, I, I think that we we went over a bunch of fun stuff today. It's always lovely to hear from everybody. Um, and I, I think that we were right in our assumption that everybody's sort of been through this this route where, you know, there's the perception of choice. And yet in so many cases as founders, we we are truly leveraged. But uh, great discussion. Um, I don't have any real parting thoughts today, man. Wow, what kind of outro is that? We worked really hard on this. This that this was your moment, man. <laughs> no, I didn't. Oh, I didn't even think about the fact that we still need to do an, an actual outro. I didn't yeah, even yeah. think about that. Yeah, no, I know. Your turn. You try it. I don't have an outro anyway. Look, uh, here. Let me read the last paragraph in our article. That'll do. <laughs> <laughs> now, none of these choices are today. fun, and most of our options suck. Yeah, no, look, guys. You know, uh, thanks, folks. Thanks for uh, coming today. Thanks for having us. This was an awesome topic. Uh, if you guys want to pick it up, you know where to find us, groups at startups.com. We'll pick it up from there. All right. So that was fun. But let's actually keep this conversation going. You've heard what we think about this, but, you know, Ryan and I would really like to hear what you think. And we're online like all day long, pretty much talking about every startup topic you could think of from fundraising to customer acquisition to just really how to get all of this crazy startup stuff out of your head. And there's tons of other founders just like you. They're weighing in on these topics. So you'll get a chance to just hang out and meet some really smart founders. We're also super, super easy to find. You head over to groups.startups.com and let Ryan and I hear what's on your mind. Let's get to know each other a little bit and let's just start having more of these conversations.